Oh, would you just join me in a word of prayer right now? Lord Jesus, thank you. The spirit of the living God, would you come and speak to us? We only want to hear from you today. Lord, I pray that you'd speak past the many words that need to be used to communicate this message and from heaven today, from your throne. Lord, would you deliver to every heart exactly what they need in this hour and in this moment. Lord God, we're desperate, Lord God. We desire to be a people, Lord God, of your own possession. We desire to live a life changed by you, Lord God. And so, Lord, we just yield ourselves to you today. Would you come and have your way, make us sensitive to your voice, speaking into the depths of our heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Pastor Brian and the worship team. Welcome this morning. My name is Pastor Chris, if you came in. Uh, just now and are joining us. We just want to welcome you to Evangel Church. We're so glad you're with us. We're in a series called The Changed Life where we're going to explore what it means to be those that uh, we just sang about. Whenever uh, we have an encounter with the living God, the spirit of the living God, uh, when he comes upon us, it says that the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work with us, in us. It says in the Bible that anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. We are a changed people. And we're called to be a changed people. And we, are going, we have been exploring as it pertains to what God's word says about the changed life, a life that's been changed and is a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Our vision as a church is to be changed lives, changing lives. We want to see us this year become that church that changed the world, the church we read about in the scriptures, in the book of Acts, that was used by the Lord in such a powerful way. And we know that's only possible through what God's work and his spirit can do in and through our lives. So if you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be closing out this series of messages. And have you enjoyed uh, what we've been diving into so far? I know that that ice storm tried to stop us, but it couldn't. Uh, we're still here. We're still uh, going after all that God has for us. And we pray that you have been uh, enjoying this series of messages, that it will set a trajectory for you. It is setting the course for us as a church through this year and beyond, because this is so key to who we are as a people, as Evangel Church in this hour. As you're turning there, I want to give you one other announcement. Uh, due to that ice storm that I mentioned on the 18th, when only about half of us were here and many of you were at home, we had uh, an announcement set aside because every January we pause and we acknowledge sanctity of life. Uh, and that God has, uh, is the author of life. He's the one who has brought forth life. And we believe as a church that life begins at the moment of conception in the womb. And because uh, we see a world around us that doesn't, uh, th that is something that is up for debate in, in the world around us, we say we are pro-life, we are pro-eternal life in Jesus. We uh, know that all lives matter, lost lives matter. And the unborn, those lives are precious to God because he said in his word, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Before there was a day, you knew me. And because we know that, because we uh, believe that wholeheartedly from scripture, we do our best to just pause and pray uh, as a church for God to use us, to speak to us, for us to be a light in this world, for anyone who would uh, ever be facing uh, issues with pregnancy and would, would need God's counsel that we could help them and we could support causes that do that, like Gateway Pregnancy Center who is with us on the 11th. But each year we give out these little models of a baby that's about 12 to 14 weeks old. And as you leave today, there's a pin or there's that model. And I encourage you to take it with you. It was an amazing uh, just 
just moment for me as I went back and considered that. In fact, as I was uh, planning what we would say in just these few moments before the word, I'm sitting there in front of my computer, and as I'm looking, my daughter, who's 10 months old, is playing on the floor in front of me. And my mind just went right back to those moments when Mandy and I saw the heartbeat for the first time. Saw so early that there was life, and we were rejoicing. You need to know God rejoices Uh, God rejoices at life, and we rejoice as well. Do you know that after just four weeks, a baby's heart's already begun to beat? Eyes and ears and lungs are already forming. At five weeks, little tiny arms and legs are already appearing. Just at five weeks. Uh, At six weeks, fingers and toes begin to develop. At seven weeks, um, the, the baby starts to develop all the muscle that it will have. I mean, that's just in the first seven weeks the miracle of life. And so we'd encourage you to take a pen, take one of those small models with you and just continue to pray and ask the Lord to use you in any way that he will, that we would just be reminded of this important, important truth. And maybe God will bring someone into uh, your path that you could use to minister to them in whatever way the Lord would lead. So we're now here in uh, this passage of scripture today and we're in Matthew chapter 7 and before we jump in I want to remind you of a verse that I shared with you it's a very popular verse that we remember from Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18 it's where there is no vision the people perish but happy is he who obeys the law now another way of that another translation uh, it's actually uh, ultimately a paraphrase of that in the message if anyone reads that uh, you can find it in your bible app it's if People can't see what God is doing, then they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. That's what this is all about. When there is no vision, meaning that you don't have a sense from God, a prophetic God-given vision of where he's leading you, then you're going to stumble all over yourself because you can't see where God's trying to take you. But when you recognize that and then you attend to it, when he reveals it, you actually walk in obedience to it then you are most blessed. And I don't know about you, I want to be most blessed. I want to walk and live in the purposes that God has for my life. And that's what this series has been all about. And so today, we're going to talk about the story of two lives. It's in fact titled, The Tale of Two Lives. The changed life and the old life. And what Jesus is doing here at the end of Matthew chapter 7 is he's talking about this changed life. He's talking about what it means to be in a life-changing relationship with God through what he was going to do on the cross for all humanity. And as he's there, I want to, as we're going to get into the text, I want to just unpackage this passage in particular for you for a few moments because if you're looking there, uh, starting in verse 13 and you go all the way down through verse 29, it looks like for you that we're going to be reading through three whole sections of scripture today because you see those little uh, section headings above there that talk about the fruit and talk about these different things. That can sometimes be confusing when you read the Bible that way because it took uh, over a thousand years before any of those section headings ever found their way into the scriptures. That's not what Matthew put in there. He didn't pause and say, and now Jesus told the story of the tree. You know, he didn't do that. And so what we think of are three independent thoughts that Jesus is telling, or three separate stories that Jesus is trying to share with those that are gathered. Yes, he's telling three different things, but he's really telling one point. He has one point to what he's trying to say. One story that he's telling in three different ways so he can drive home a truth about the kingdom of God and what it is to live that changed life. In fact, here we are at the end of Matthew chapter 7, which is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus teaching to the multitudes on the kingdom of God on what it really means to experience God's rule and reign and presence in someone's life. And so he's teaching about the upside-down nature of the kingdom, that God's ways are much different. Up is down, left is right. Everything isn't what it seems. 
And therefore, those who only have eyes to see, eyes that have been fixed and changed and transformed by the power and forgiveness and salvation of God could experience and understand what he is unpackaging. So Jesus gets to the end. So we're not just talking to you about one big idea that Jesus is telling in three stories. We're also getting to the summary. It's Jesus' concluding thoughts on the entire Sermon on the Mount. It's his conclusion to this long teaching that he's just given about the kingdom. So let's keep that in mind as we look at Scripture today. We're really going to look at three things when we're talking about the tale of two lives. We're going to look at the tale of ultimately two roads, the tale of two trees, and the tale of two homes. And what we get from that is the tale of two lives, and which life will you choose, the changed life or the old life, the life that leads to life or the life that leads to death. So let's look here. And as we come to these passages, I want to remind you that you may read them and say, you know, I've heard this before. I've read this before. This is such a familiar passage of Scripture. Some of you say, Pastor, I'm so holy that I, every passage of Scripture is so familiar. I've read everything. I just live in Leviticus. I love it. Um, but, but this is particularly, you know, something you would say, yeah, I've heard this before. I've heard this message. I've heard this passage. Um, but I want, I want you to know that the people who are sitting on the hill there listening to the Sermon on the Mount, they've heard a lot of this stuff too at that point in time. Jesus wasn't using words and imagery that no one had heard of before, but something different happened because the scribes of the day would often teach about these kind of topics, but something happens in verses 28 and 29 that we need to pay attention to because it's my prayer that it happened to us today in God's presence. Verse 28, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as their scribes. This was a different kind of teaching. Maybe the same kinds of concepts, maybe the same pictures and words being used, but there was something so different. It says they were amazed. This word for amazed is a different kind of word. It's a different one than, than we really uh, are able to give full weight to in English, in Greek. This word is packed with significance. The word that is, it's trying to portray to us today is this word that we don't use a lot, but I think it's an amazing word. It's a powerful word. Here it is. To be amazed in the way of what they were saying is they were thunderstruck by what they had heard. Now, how many of you use that in your everyday life? I love that word, thunderstruck. They were thunderstruck by what they had heard. Now, what does it mean to be thunderstruck? Here's what it means. Someone in first service says it means to be struck by lightning. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't mean that. But have you ever been in a storm and a lightning starting to flash? And, and I mean, like, not too far from you, the bolt comes down and you see it, it lights everything up. And what comes a couple seconds later? That thunder, that billows, that builds, and that just goes right through your whole body. Does anyone know what that means to feel that? That, that just resonates inside of you. That thunder it hits you and you're like, whoa, that just kind of shook me to my core. It says that's what happened when they heard Jesus' teaching. They were shaken to their core by the truth of God's word as Jesus was delivering it to them. And I'm so thankful that we have this word today so that it isn't about me delivering it to you, but that the Lord himself would reveal this truth to your heart and that we would be thunderstruck by it, that God would shake us to our core, that it would resonate so deeply in our hearts that we would be changed as a result of responding in obedience to his word. So let's look at it in these first, the, the story of the two roads. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Here's what Jesus says. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who will enter through it. But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are very few who find it. There are very few who find it. So the first thing 
that Jesus is doing here is he's telling the tale of two roads. And these are these two roads. And the tale of the two roads goes something like this. There's a wide one, and it leads to death and destruction, and there's a very narrow one, and it leads to life, and very few people are ever going to find it. Now, when you think about these roads, I think about the wide one being like a wide-open highway. And if you've ever driven, is there anyone here, put up your hand, that's driven across the country? You've actually done a cross-country trip? I mean, there are stretches of road, right, that, I mean, they just go on forever. I've never done it, but uh, I'm, I'm guessing that that's the case because they took this picture while they were driving it. So, uh, so there are these long stretches of road that are just straight, and I'm sure that it's easy for you to get distracted because everything looks the same. Nothing's any different. There's not a pothole. There might be a tumbleweed, and you're getting excited over it. You know, maybe a billboard for some soup or something like that, and you're, oh, wow, there it is. But everything else is just the same, and how easy is it for us to get distracted and get our attention taken off of what we're focusing on when we feel like it's so predictable right in front of us? There's no cars coming. It's just completely wide and open. So as you're driving on that, you become very casual. You become very, uh, very comfortable. Now imagine if you're traveling that road and you don't see it. You have no idea. But a half mile down the road, right over the horizon, that road is just going to cut off and it's going to go right off a cliff. And there's no signs. <laughs> there's no nothing. It's just, just at one point in time, you will go off the cliff and you will go to destruction. You will die. You will just be done. It's over. And no one has told you that this is the case, and you have no idea of it. You're just on that road, and you're thinking everything's fine. But there's, that's what Jesus is trying to share about this road that leads to destruction. He says it's very wide. Many people will travel it. They travel very comfortably. But what's out ahead of them is destruction. Some of them, they don't even know it. But he said, but... There's another way. In fact, Jesus said, I am that way. The way, the truth, and the life. It's a narrow road. It's a very narrow path. Very few are going to find it. It's incredibly hard to travel, but it leads to life. It leads to eternal life. That one day no one will have to face that destruction and death because if they find this way and walk this way, it leads to life. Now, as I was in Israel uh, back in 2012, I got to see in these, on the hills, there's a lot of mountains, a lot of hills. There are these paths that, that look so old and so worn down. And some of them, they cut through steep places. And it's as if um, there's only one way up this mountain. And this little path was found. And, and, and it was just perfectly there. I'm like, how long did it take them to figure out what was the perfect path that people would not fall and this would happen? And one of the tour guides, they explained it to us. They said, Going thousands of years back, here's how they would find the path when they were settling a brand new area. They would take one of the mules and they would just let it go. And they would follow the mule. And the mule knew exactly where to go. You'd say, really? Following a mule? Yeah, well, you know, for, for, for them, it was, it was incredible. You, I've never seen those videos of those goats that are like climbing up, uh, you know, they might as well be trapeze artists climbing up mountainsides. But mules are the same way. They find the best path from point A to point B, and they walk that path. So if you're following, that's what they do. They'd follow, and they'd start breaking it down, and then make paths up narrow, windy roads. They'd go into places that they could never have traveled, couldn't have built stairs to, and they'd just follow the mule, and the mule would always find the way up. And that's how the path was created. And so some of the paths that I was looking at were thousands of years old, and they were initially made by mules back then. And many of the roads that you'll see in Jerusalem started 
as those places that were being paved by mules. So you'll see in Jerusalem, incredible hills, incredible curves and turns. They started as mule paths, and the mules would find the most efficient way to get wherever they needed to go. So as I'm thinking about that, I said, well, let, let me give the church a more modern-day example of this because people are still doing it. Do you know that there is an article you could find online that will give you the top 20 dangerous, most dangerous trails to hike in the world? Um, I didn't know that because I don't care about that. I never want to experience that. Some of you are like, why are you telling me this? Uh, well, it's because you need to pay attention to this one. This one's near the Grand Canyon. It's uh, over in Arizona. It's called Bright Angel Trail. And I think it's because you need angels to be with you uh, to go. But this is, what I, this is on the side of the road on this trail. Look what it says. When a mule passes, stand on the inside and then follow the mule guide instructions. That if you're traveling this, the best way 2,000 years later is still following the mule. <laughs> if you want to find your way through those, go back to those windy. I mean, they're so thin. They're so windy. If you go back to those trails, uh, the, the picture right before this. Um, if you go back to that and see it, they're winding up the side of that. I mean, they're, they're narrow. If you lose your step, you're gone. We don't often think about this as the Christian journey that we're on. That Jesus said this. He said, narrow. It's very narrow. Few will find it. It's an uphill battle. It's uphill journey. And it's not going to be easy. And you know what? So often we become so comfortable because we've said the prayer we think that because we've said the prayer, we, I guess we put some kind of bungee on us or some kind of guardrail has magically come up that we can just walk out our life however we want to. Not the case. In the same way that you would need to be incredibly intentional about every step that you take on that path, we should be living with that same level of intentionality in the way that we live our lives before the Lord. Not out of fear of death, but because Jesus has said, if you really want to walk in the way that I've called you to, it's a narrow path. It's not the same as you just wandering down a highway. I have cut and made a way where there is no way. And you're not going to find it unless you're being intentional about where you're setting your feet and unless your eyes are on the one that can lead you through it. Jesus has gone ahead of us. Jesus has prepared a way where there seemed to be no way. Jesus made that way, and here's what we need to realize. And this is another sign, believe it or not, that is on this very trail. Here's what it says. Caution. Down is an option, but up is mandatory. I'm thinking, is this some kind of track that they put up there, like some kind of Christian? <laughs> Caution, down is always an option. You know, down is optional, but up is mandatory. <laughs> uh, if you want to live, you better be going up. Down's always an option as well. And I think we need to realize in our Christian walk that down is an option, and we shouldn't live ignorant of that idea that somehow because we've said a prayer and just invite Jesus into our heart, if we're not living every day intentionally towards relationship, if we're not walking with Jesus every day, we know we can stumble and we can fall. That doesn't make us immune to it just because we said a prayer. That's not living the changed life. But we need to be walking with Jesus, following close after him, watching where our feet would go and being led by him, knowing that he holds us, knowing that we don't even need to be afraid, knowing that the Bible says that although we could even walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't even have to be afraid. The good shepherd's with us. He knows exactly where to lead and to guide us. And so we see the tale of two roads, and it has everything to do with your feet. Watching where you're walking. Are you following Jesus? Are you looking to follow after him daily? The second part that Jesus goes into in the story is the story of these two trees. 
It's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. It says this, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You know them by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, are they? Some are saying, I don't know if they are. They're not. So every good tree bears good fruit, and the bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. There's three things that are in common. There's these three stories. There's one thing that's in common in every one of them. Destruction. It says this at the end of it. Look, there's a difference between these two trees. There are just two trees... And on the surface, they actually look very similar. Because it says that they're, you know, one, they, they look alike. And then he goes right into sheep imagery, that one's wearing sheep, is a sheep, the other is wearing sheep's clothing, so meaning that it's a very good disguise. It's a very good cover-up. But at the, just at your first glance, they, they don't look very different. They definitely don't look as starkly contrasted as these two pictures, do they? It, it's, okay, two trees... One is very good for you and one is very dangerous for you. Think about it. If you go out and you are hiking in the woods and uh, you're deciding that you just want to, you know, go and find some berries and some things to eat, how many of you know that half the stuff you're going to pick up might kill you? Um, you know, if you're not paying attention just because they're red little berries and they look nice and they kind of look like raspberries, doesn't mean you should put them in your mouth and eat them. Um, because you know what's inside of them? Something that might be toxic. And you can't just go by any mushroom there and say, well, this is nice. Maybe this is a nice portobello. No, it might kill you. And so you have to be very careful because at, at a first glance, it looks like everything's good. But what's inside of them that you can't always necessarily see can be toxic, can be deadly. So now Jesus is narrowing the picture inside of what he's telling his followers. He's saying, you need to be on the lookout. Because false prophets are going to come and they're going to they're make everything look good on the outside. And false prophets are those that will speak as though they know what the future is and your future is. And yet, it's all words. It's not true. In fact, they came under severe judgment. If they were to speak on behalf of God and say, I'm a prophet, this is what's going to happen. This is what God wants for your life. This is where he's leading you. And then it came up that they were not true and it was not right. They were stoned to death. You say, that sounds really harsh. But it also kept people very aware that if they were going to try to speak on behalf of God, they better, they better really believe that they're speaking on behalf of God. Because if they're there to lead people astray, they would come under judgment. And he's saying that there are false prophets that had come. There are those that could still come and say, hey, I'm leading you. I know the way to go. Look at, look at my life. Look at all these fancy things. Look at all these nice things. And they might even have wise, persuasive words, displays of power, all those different things. And we think that's the fruit, right? We'd say, well, isn't that the fruit then? Isn't that the stuff that we'd look at in someone's life that would be, you know, right there? And, and so if I look at it, it, it just looks like fruit. Yeah, I mean, man, they're so eloquent and the words are so powerful and the things that they're doing, it's It's amazing. But that's not the fruit that we're called to be measuring. As we look on the outside, I can, I can give you a plate full of apples, bananas, berries, and grapes that look so beautiful, but if you bite into them, you might choke because they're made of styrofoam. They look great. They look amazing. They look delicious. But what's really on the inside? It's not real. See, the problem with false prophets was that their words wasn't matching their walk. 
What they were saying wasn't actually matching what was going to happen and what was going to follow after them. They spoke a lot about it, and they were excited. But to the naked eye, it looked fine, but it had to be judged by its fruit. And so the fruit isn't just what you see hanging off of the tree, what, what's right there in front of your eyes. There needs to be a greater level of discernment into that. See, the fruit cannot simply mean, this is what N.T. Wright said, uh, a great scholar. He said, it cannot simply be showy displays of apparent spiritual power. False prophets can often produce all kinds of things like that. What counts is something deeper, something more personal. Whenever Moses went before Pharaoh and he was like, threw, he threw his staff down and picked it up. It became a snake, picked it up. You know what happened? Then Pharaoh had his magicians. They were doing all kinds of stuff too. So yeah, you want to go back and forth. What was the difference between the two? One of them had a personal relationship with God, the living God. And the rest just had a bunch of smoke and mirrors. And one will only know who has that relationship with the living God if they themselves too have that relationship with the living God. And so this speaks to a much more personal place that that Jesus said this, if you remain in me, in John 15, and I remain in you, then you're what? Going to bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you're in this kind of relationship with Jesus, if you're walking with him daily, guess what? He's bringing you to a place of maturity as you're growing where you can tell the difference between the real and the counterfeit. My daughter right now, if I were to give her in a couple of weeks a slice of an apple or uh, a piece of a fake apple that's plastic, she would not know the difference. In fact, she has a little carrot that she chews on that's made of plastic. I think she thinks it's her carrots. She doesn't know the difference. And guess what? If you right now have that level of understanding of the Lord because you're not spending any time with him, you're not growing, you're not developing, there is meant to be a time that you grow to the point where you could tell the difference between the counterfeit and the real thing. Can someone with me? God's word is given to us. Why? So we could tell the counterfeit between the real thing and the counterfeit. We could tell them apart. Jesus said, be careful because if you are only in an inch deep, you're not going to be able to tell the difference and you're going to be deceived. You're going to be led astray. What you're biting into, what you're living out, it's toxic. It's full of weeds. Also, if you're neglecting it and you're not paying attention, you're going to be overrun with weeds and not good things. And I think about this picture. And some of you say, this looks like my garden at home. Overgrown, the fences are down. You say, yeah, I think there's a tomato in there somewhere. Uh, I think that there might be a squash growing underneath that log there. You know, it's a mess. It's a complete mess. Why? Because it was neglected. You know, many people that set out and they want a great fruitful yield, they don't, those things don't happen by accident, do they? You don't, you don't just go out and just scatter some seeds in the ground and walk away and you come back and there are pumpkins growing in this beautiful manicured garden. This is what it would look like. Yeah, there might be a couple things in there, but you've completely neglected caring for what you have sown and what you have set out to do. You're not going to yield and bear fruit the way that you uh, were created and meant to bear fruit. But when you take the care and the time and when you go into all the detail, the garden can look more like this. This beautiful garden. Now, how many of you have had a garden like this? Now, let's not put our hands up because I've got to ask who had the other garden. So if you think about this, do you think that it took uh, once a month going out and looking at that to, to get it there? No, every day, care going out, making sure that it has the proper light that it would need, making sure that it's being watered in the right way, making sure that everything is exactly as it is. If things are growing up that are dead, they're being pruned off, they're being trimmed. If something isn't growing in the way that it should, it's being moved to another place. Such care, such detail. You know what comes at the end? It abounds in fruit. 
It's very fruitful what comes out. The same is true in your life. When you're intentional about having a relationship with Jesus, if you every day are going to attend to, the same way it says, but most blessed is he who attends to what God reveals. As you live in a relationship with Jesus, you spend time with him daily, as you look to get into his word, to know him more and more, you grow and you bear a lot of fruit. Jesus said, apart from you, you can do nothing. And so for this, when we look at the tale of two trees, it's all about the fruit. And then finally, Jesus moves on in verses 24 through 27, and he tells this, this the tale of two homes. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell in great was its fall. So we've gone from being pretty clear to, okay, over time we can kind of discern the difference, but the tale of two houses and two homes is much different, even more. Because to someone's eye, they're just two homes. Everything that Jesus is talking about is what's going on completely beneath the surface. What is going on? What is it built upon? Because when the storms come, the nicest houses can fall. There are people who, if you drove up and down the Jersey Shore every year, you'd see these homes that are so gorgeous. And then you would go on to some kind of application and you'd begin to look up the value of them and your eyes would roll. Two, three, four million dollars a home Right there, pristine beachfront property. Think about this. Walking out of your back door, front door, and right onto the beach, going swimming every year. How fun would that be? Yes, it was fun for a season. And maybe it was fun for a whole childhood. But you know what happened? Towards the end of 2012, the big storm came. And when the big storm came, this is what it looked like. Houses that were worth millions of dollars were literally lifted from the foundation and thrown into the sea. Whole lives were put into, into this. This was their retirement. This was their everything. This was all that. And yet in one moment, it all came crashing to the ground. What a picture of what Jesus is talking about. The difference was what foundation they were built upon. Because guess what? The storm hit everywhere. But not everyone was being thrown into the sea. Do you know why? Because there was a foundation that was laid on sand. And there were houses that had foundations built on rock. And guess what? The foundations with the houses built on rock, even a hurricane could come and they weren't going to fall. But others, they were lifted up and they were cast into the sea, turned around like they, were, like they were nothing. This is what happens when we build our lives on the things of this world. It should cause us to ask our question, what are we building our lives upon really? What am I really doing with what God has given me in this life? What am I doing to build on what really counts, the rock, the right foundation? I'm not here to condemn anyone for having a vacation home. I hope you, I hope you don't read into that and think that that's the point of this story. The point is this, though. I think it's very clear. 
Man, it's fun to be right down there on the sand, isn't it? Man, it's fun for a season to be right there and enjoying all the wonders of life and you built it all up and you poured more and more into it. But it's not fun at all when the storms come because you're in a place then, if that's where you've rested your life, you're in a place that when the storms come, you're going to get swept away. You're going to fall apart. Everything around you will crumble because you don't have the right foundation. So you have to ask this question. You have to look at the foundation. when you're asking about the tale of two homes. Because you have the one where they're being scattered everywhere, but then you have homes like this, made of stone, built on the right foundation. They could be hundreds of years old, and yet they're showing no sign of wear, no sign of storm. In fact, they're homes that are prepared so when the storm comes, they actually have shutters that will shut up just like this, and they will, they will be able to withstand anything. Why? Not because they were made with better brick, better mortar. Not because they had pillars. and Because they were built on the right foundation. When your life is built on the right foundation, and that foundation is the rock, and the rock is Jesus. And building it upon there means you put your faith in Jesus. When you've done that, you're like the person who has built their home on that right foundation. No storm can overtake you. No storm can come that's greater than you are because the Bible says greater is he who's in me. And think of it this way, greater is he who is my foundation than anything that will come at me from this world, right? That's the truth of God's word. So again, we see the tale of two roads, the tale of two trees, the tale of two homes. It's really the tale of two lives, the changed life and the old life. The changed life and the same life for some of us. One that's full of us going through the motions and not really experiencing all that God would have for us. Pastor Brian, you can come at this time. Now Jesus gets to the point of it in verse 21. And here's what he says. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he who obeys the law is blessed. Jesus said on that day of judgment, which is his pointing to, there'll be those that will come and they'll have been so faithful in their church attendance. They'll have been so faithful to get so involved and do so many things. They will have written such big checks and given such exorbitant amounts of their time and, and felt like they helped so many people and they've done it all in Jesus' name. And they felt like they were elite spiritually in some way. And, and how could it even cross through our mind that, that the creator of the universe, the God who loves us, could look and say, I never knew you. The only way this is possible in my mind, church, is when someone would get so caught up trying to do things for God and in God's name and in this that they missed having an actual relationship with him so caught up being about all that stuff and then all the language and all the verbiage and they grew up in it and their families grew up in it. And this isn't talking about an evil person. 
that has just, uh, you know, go gone, you know, gone completely off the deep end. This isn't talking about the murderers who would stand in God's presence and people that have completely denied him. It's talking about people that genuinely come and say, like, Lord, we did all this in your name. Like, what's going on? So this isn't talking about a contrast between good people or bad people. The contrast that I believe God is bringing out and Jesus is bringing out is a contrast between real believers and religious people. And there can become a lot of religious people in this world that we know God by his name or his reputation, but we don't know him intimately and personally. We think we know enough because we know about him. We know the story. You know, when you become a real believer is whenever the story begins to change your life. When you enter into that story, whenever that story becomes your story, whenever you call upon his name, and you don't say, I don't, you know, I know you're the father of my parents or my children or whoever. No, I want you to be the God of me. I want to have a personal relationship with you. I want to walk with you. Lord, I want to follow after you. Everywhere you place your step, I want to be right behind you. I want to be with you in a way that things will grow out of my life that are a lot more like you and a lot less like who I used to be. I want to go with you and I want to build everything that I am. I want to give my whole life. I'm all in before you. That's what it is to live that changed life. So this morning, as we close out this series of messages, I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to imagine with me the Lord Jesus. And for some of you, 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 you can't remember what changed means. And if you can't remember it, you can open your eyes and you can look right up on the screen here. But if you know what that means, you can close your eyes and just listen here because I'm going to mention it to you. Because what I'm talking about isn't religion. It's not at all. It's all about relationship with Jesus. Imagine the Lord coming to you today and saying this. I know all the things you're doing and all the busyness and all the, but here's my question for you. Are you connected to me today and to my body? Are you hungry for more of me? Are you active in sharing me with other people and telling others a story of what I've done in your life and what I can do in theirs? Are you nurturing your relationship with me? Are you spending time daily seeking me, knowing me through prayer, knowing me through my word? Do you have a heart that looks at what all that's happened in your life, all that has, I've done for you, and that's overflowing with generosity because you know my generosity towards you? As I gave my life, you give it back. Do you live today or are you empowered by the Holy Spirit that I promised to send you, the one that would guide you and lead you into all truth, the one that would make you a witness in this world? Are you fulfilling the call that I gave to everyone that would call upon my name to go and to make disciples of others? Are you leading others towards me by the way you live your life? Could you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ coming to you right now, whispering into your heart those questions and for you, some of you say, yes, Lord, I am. And others, you'd say, no, but I so want to, Lord. I want that kind of relationship. Church, if you take the journey with us in 2015, we want to live that changed life. We're never going to be the church that changed the world if we're not a church full of people who are changed, who have given up on religion and are just ready for an all-out relationship with Jesus that would change us.
from the inside out. And this is how it's going to happen for us. And so right now, if you'd open your eyes and at the end of your row, all the way to the right, you're going to see a basket with some cards and with some pens and just begin to pass those down and begin to pull out one, a pen if you need it, a card if you need it. As you're doing that, I'm just going to explain to you what you're receiving right now. This is a card that says on one side, the changed life. And on the inside, just like we would give a faith promise to missions, just like we'd say, you know what? I feel that God wants me to do something and so I'm going to make a promise, a commitment that with God's help, I'm going to give to missions. We do that every year in November. This is a different kind of promise. This is one where we say, Lord, I'm going to live the changed life with your help that I will live connected to the body, hungry for God, actively sharing Jesus, nurturing my spiritual growth, generously stewarding all that I am, my time, my talent, my treasure, empowered by the Holy Spirit and discipling others. And if you say, you know what, Lord, I want that. I'm ready. I'm in. Then what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you first to pray. Don't do anything until you pray. And you ask the Lord and make this a moment between you and the Lord. And if you say, that's it, I'm in. You say this, on that side part, if you turn it sideways, I'm in. With God's help, I, and you write your name in there, commit to living the changed life. And then sign that, put the date there, put away for us to connect with you. And what we're going to do is we're going to commit as a church, as a people, to live this out. And we're committing, I'm committing as your pastor, to walk with you on that journey. That everything we do in 2015 would lead us in this direction. That we would become the church that changed the world because we're a church full of changed lives. So I'm going to pray for you. And as you fill this out, here's what you're going to do. You're going to begin to sing the song Pastor Brian led us in. You can hold on to the card. Once you fill it out, I want you to rip it off. And then I want you to stand up and I want you to just begin to worship the Lord. And after a little while, the ushers are going to come. We're going to collect the smaller portion of the card that we rip off here. And you're going to put this somewhere so that you can remember the commitment that you've made. Put it in your Bible. Put it somewhere to remember. But right now, everyone's sitting. And as God prompts you and you say, that's it, I'm in. As you fill that out, as you tear that off, I want you just to stand up right where you're at and begin to worship the Lord and sing along. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, come now. Speak to us, we pray, Lord God. Lord, we've been given the tale of two lives where we see it from your word, Lord God. Lord, I pray today we'd be thunderstruck. It would resonate to the depths of our, our soul and our heart of who you are and what you've done and what you're calling us to. And Lord, today we fix our eyes on you. We set our feet, Lord God, to move in the direction. Lord, we want to produce fruit, Lord, that keeps up with repentance and the righteousness that you call for us. We want to build our lives on the foundation of who you are, Lord. So come now, Lord. Lead us. Spirit of the living God, Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray, as we respond to you now. Amen. Let's all respond to the Lord together.